Thank you. And how about you all? Will you preach with me? Four of you will. Amen? Amen. Oh, good. Now a bunch of you are going to. That's good. And online as well. I appreciate that. I am so glad you're here and glad to see you this morning. I'll be preaching again this evening. I have a message for the church. And uh, for those of you that believe that Sunday morning is enough, um, that's, uh, well, I have a Greek, I've studied Greek extensively, and I, uh, well, I have, and I have a Greek word for that, it's, it's, pretty, it's hard to pronounce, it's baloney. Now, take your time, <clears throat> but, hi girls, there's two of my babies back there growing up, my goodness, I'm glad to see everybody, goodness, I'm not killing time, I'm just looking over the family. We have a great family. And if you don't believe it, just get in a situation where you need a family. And my goodness, a family. Now, I want to preach. I'm going to get right to it. But I was watching television last night, and I think it was Jimmy Fortune was singing. And Barbara Jane, you were sitting right by Rhonda Vincent, but you were worshiping God. And I thought, boy, there, you can tell. I'm not saying anything wrong with Rhonda, but I'm just saying you can sure tell when the Spirit of God's on a child of God, they feel, isn't it good to feel the presence of God? Does anybody know what I mean when I say feel the presence of God? <clears throat> you know, when I was new and didn't know anything about God or the church or anything, I felt something, and, and it's so funny. I ha had a service one time at a large church where I was at, and there were some people there that were pretty high church folks, and they hadn't been around that kind of worship before, and the one walked out, there were several walked out, and these were kind of executive people. And one said, boy, this place is charismatic. And I thought, another word for the power of the Holy Spirit. Another guy comes in and he goes, boy, there's zeal in this house. I went, another definition for the power of the Holy Spirit. This place is charged. I heard that. I heard a whole bunch of descriptions because they didn't understand exactly what was going on. But I can tell you as a believer and a child of God, we know what's going on. Amen? Do you believe, let me ask you something. Do you believe that we're in somewhere near the end of all of this mess on earth? If you look at circumstances around us. Now, I was born into this. At 18 years old, I accepted Jesus and was promptly switched off to a Christian college called Evangel University. I didn't even know where it was or what it was, but a preacher picked me up on Sunday morning, Monday morning after I was saved Saturday and dop dropped me off there. And I'm really glad because he let me see Ruth there. And I'm going to tell you something. Man, you're talking about going nuts. I... I I'm just walking down the street, a normal guy, and all of a sudden, here comes Ruth Howard walking toward me, and I went, whoa. <laughs> but I didn't say it outside. I said it inside, you know. Woo, lousy. I said, look at that, child. That's what I'm looking for right there. And about a year and a half, no, about two years later, bingo, it worked. So don't be afraid to claim, name it and claim it, folks. That's what I did. I named it and claimed it. Her name, what's her name? And her fiancé, she was engaged for three and a half years to a good friend of mine. Another story. <laughs> Still hard for me to get around my old buddy. Oh, she's mine now, buddy. Fifty years later, she's mine. You understand that? But I had a lot of things happen that changed my life. Well, I found out 
The older I get in Jesus, the more I know him, the more I understand him, and the more I love him. Amen? I want to preach to you a message this morning, and I'm going to ask you tonight, if it's not your custom to come to church on Sunday night, I'm going to ask you to be here. These are special services we're having on Sunday night called Revive Us. Pastor Benaya got this heartbeat for this, and he got it because for about three years prior to this starting, I've been burdened, but I said, God, I don't want to start something that won't last. Now, when Pastor Benaya and Natalie came to me several years ago and said, we've got this vision, we've got this dream, and we're going to call it Restoration Connection, can we start it? I said, no. And they walked away. And six months later, they came back. We're, we're burning with this. There's something in us. We know there's a need for people in this community. Can we start it? No. It's not time. You're not ready. And this went on for about a year. And finally, they came to us and said, if you don't let us, we're going to explode because our hearts are broken for the people in this community that need Jesus, that aren't getting second chances. And I wanted to say, honey, when you were little, and I first started this church, a little I with a dot, when I first started this church, I put at the Boys and Girls Club, our second place to meet, I put a sign out in front that said this, send us your basket cases. I've been in the restoration business from the very beginning of this whole thing. And when we finally, I saw that burden grow and grow, I said, okay, go with it. And they went with it. And the first week, Natalie said, Daddy, we only had five people show up. I said, yeah, that's five people. Are you kidding me? That's wonderful. Well, it's a lot different now. The whole community knows. But God is into restoring. But God wants lasting things in our life. Amen? Not temporary not religious. And so if you're watching trends across America today, I can tell you in religious trends, I'm completely dressed strong. But I, 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 I mean, I've got a suit on, I've got a sport, nice shirt, and I don't have jeans with holes in them, and I'm not hip, and I'm not cool. But I, I, I see something. I watch NFL football, only one team that God has blessed called the Chiefs. And that's about the only ones I watch. But I noticed the commentators wear Armani suits. The basketball commentators wear suits. All the sports guys do. All the newscasters do. And I think, and I'm thinking one day, I'm not preaching the clothesline, but I, I thought one day, God, I represent Jesus to these people. So how should I look? You see, I've stopped following trends. Well, you're going to be lonely, boy. You're going to be by yourself. No, there's a lot of people who stop following trends and more all the time. Trends in the way I represent myself as a pastor to you and our community in this church. Trends of how I haven't outgrown my boss. I'm not greater than Jesus. I'm not a celebrity. I won't be a celebrity. I'm not going to have any praise or worship. He is alone the one that gets our praise and worship. We give glory to him. I'm not going to follow trends when it comes to attending church. You see, I personally don't believe that just Sunday morning's enough. And you say, Pastor, quit meddling and start preaching. I'm telling you good stuff. I'm telling you that when you 
Take the time to go to the house of God. God will take the time to minister to your needs and specifically for that situation. You go to him, and when you go to him, he responds. Never one time in my entire life have I gone to Jesus that he has not responded back to me. My step of faith is what causes him to respond. It triggers something in the heart of God when a child of God. It triggered something in the heart of God when David began to run toward Goliath. And he had that sling, and he was slinging it, and it was making that whistling noise. And he said, you come to me with a, with a sword and, a, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of Jehovah God above all gods. And I saw how God responded. When you move toward God, God moves toward you. And your Goliath will be defeated by your actions as a child of God. So what am I preaching about today? Nothing to do with that. That was just a sideline. But I am preaching about this. The title of my message, I usually tell you halfway through or toward the end. But this is what I want to preach about today. Jesus is. In a world today, and I was talking to Dr. Tim Hill this morning. We pray every Sunday back and forth. And as I was talking to him, he said, what are you preaching on? And I told him, oh, that'll preach. I told him the text. We trade things. We have a little saying, if your bullet fits my gun, I'll shoot it. And we were talking about this text. We're talking about, I was saying to him, I live in a world today, in America, in the United States of America, and you can't find a more patriot than I am. I'm a patriot. You may be equally as much a patriot, but I love this country. I love our heritage. I love the sacrifice as much as it's cost of men and women, my friends, your friends, your family, yourselves, that have paid ultimate prices for a freedom in this country. But all in the same notion, we live in a nation today in America where if I publicly say, Buddha, it's okay. If I talk about Hindi, it's okay. If I talk about Muhammad, it's okay. But when I say the name of Jesus, it triggers the anger of hell today in America. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Publicly, when we have prayer, there was a, 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 a coach at a, at a high school that prayed uh, during or before a football game was fired a few years ago when he was exonerated but just because he used the name of Jesus. I had a friend that preached, that prayed, pardon me, at a presidential inauguration of one of our presidents, a conservative president. And my friend told me that when he was going up to pray, they said, now you can pray and just do anything you want to, but at the end of it, you can't say in Jesus' name. You can say, Father, you can say thank you, we appreciate anything, but you can't use the name Jesus. I said, what'd you do? He said, I listened to him, and I prayed this prayer I had written out that they had approved. And at the end of it, I said, we pray all this in Jesus' name. And I looked over at him, and he was cringing. The name Jesus offends. But I want to tell you something. There's no such thing as non-offensive Christianity. Why? 
Are we trying to be rebellious? No. Are we trying to cause trouble, rebel route? No. It's that the name of Jesus addresses sin. And when sin is addressed, there's a resistance. No one likes to be told they're doing wrong. And the name of Jesus addresses it. You see, there are still boundaries. There are still morals. There are still truths and laws in the Word of God. And they haven't changed at all. None whatsoever. But we've molded and we've reshaped and we've created social doctrines and gospels that allow things that are wrong in the Word of God to come into our lives and come into our church and norms and traditions that I'm talking about. But I'm telling you this, as close as we're getting to the end of this reign of, of mankind, before the rapture of the church, you want to find your robe white. You want to find it cleansed. You want to find your life in a place of dedication to Jesus Christ above more than anything that exists on this earth, that he alone is the supreme commander of your life. We're living in the days today that there can be no mistake to whom you put your trust in. There can be no question in whom you believe and no doubt as to whom Jesus is to you. We're not defending Jesus when we do this because a lot of people live in the defensive mode of Christianity. I'm, well, I've, I have to, I'm, I'm, and we feel like we're having to defend ourselves for being a child of God. Let me just tell you something right now. You're not defending the cross. You're not defending the word of God. You're not defending Jesus. You're depending on the cross. You're depending on the word of God. And you're depending on Jesus by acknowledging him in everything you do. You see, it's not our job to be the convincing agent that leads men and women to, the, to Jesus that's the Holy Spirit. And he draws people to the understanding of their need for Jesus. Our role is, is to be living an example of the redemptive act of Jesus, the transformation in our life, the power of God in our life to change us, to rebirth us. We're the rans ransomed treasure of heaven and we need to understand who we are. That only his blood could afford anything less than a complete, total transformation. But we have lived that. How many of you know that you're born again? Born again. That's all new. That's brand new. Your age didn't change. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, he was the head of the Sanhedrin. He was probably in his late 80s. He comes to Jesus. And he wants to know, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus hits him with this first-time thought. In all of humanity, you have to be born again. And this theologian is absolutely floored. What do you mean? Do I, do I enter into my mother's womb for the second time? And he goes, no, you're born of water once. That's of the woman. But now you have to be born of the Spirit. 
And there's a rebirthing and a transformation that happens to the life of a believer. But I'm going to tell you this. Everything I say today that comes down and funnels down to one pinpoint, and that pinpoint is in and through Jesus Christ. Everything you have, everything we are, everything that we're about. There's a scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's an easy one to remember, just like John 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16. I'm going to read it in the NIV. You can read it in the, in the King James or the New King James or the ESV or the NASB or the AM or, or any ones you want. But this is what it says. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, above all question, now let me set this. This Look at me just saying, don't read ahead of me. Just hang on here. I, I saw you. I watched your eyes, every one of you. Jesus is talking to Timothy. He's training him. I mean, Paul's talking to Timothy. He's training him. And Paul's talking to Timothy here in 1 and 2 Timothy as a last uh, letter of his life. To his son in the faith. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. And he was giving him instruction and information that he had gleaned over the years from his service, 30 years of serving Jesus and preaching the gospel. And he was just about ready to go into the place where he was going to be beheaded. And it had no problem with that. But he was giving him last minute instructions from a father to a son. And Timothy listened to every word he had. He wrote them down. He put them in his heart. And he alone became a great bishop of the church. But Paul's speaking specifically to him. He's teaching in, in the beginning of chapter 3 about overseers or pastors of the church and then deacons in the church. Then he gets down to all of this and he's saying about serving Jesus above all question. The mystery of godliness is great. Now listen to what he's saying here. If, you can, if your brain, if you can try to think that you can figure out God, you're wasting your time. He's greater. He's greater. You see, the problem with trying to figure out God is that's how we get doctrines in the church that are just baloney. Silly stuff. Foolishness. Beliefs because we start worshiping doctrines more than the God of the doctrines. There are doctrines in the Bible. They're real. They're true. The, the doctrine of salvation, the do, doctrine of baptism, of the Holy Spirit. They're solid foundation doctrines. And sometimes if we can't figure God out, we'll just make up something that fits us and our understanding. You can't do that. He's too great. The mystery of godliness is great. Paul's saying that like imagine. And then he starts describing Jesus. Listen to this. He appeared in a body. He's going to give a description of the deity and the greatness of Jesus here. First thing he said, he came to Bethlehem. He was born in a manger. He was born of a virgin. If you believe that, say amen. I was standing in Jerusalem, in fact, Bethlehem one time. And I was up on a high floor over a, a plaza area, and I could see a, 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 way across outside of the city a, a big hill with a little round green spot in it. 
And our guide that was standing by me, Sammy, said, Pastor, you see that hill? I said, yes. He said, you see that little green spot out there? He said, that's the only vegetation that's ever been on that, on that mountainside, and it's never, ever gone away. It's never dried up. It's never vanished. The droughts haven't affected. It stays green. He said, that's where they say. He said, that's where they say the shepherds were that night that behold an angel of the Lord appeared and said I have something great to tell you that in the city of David today is born a savior of the world. Listen to me. It's real. It's true. He came in the flesh. He appeared in a body and still was God. He was vindicated by the spirit. What are we talking about? He Took our sins, but never, ever one time in the life of Jesus Christ. Again, I can't get my mind around this. So what? How many of you ever had surgery in here? Well, let me ask you something. When you did, you sit out the doctor and say, no, doctor, I want to I understand this. I mean, like, where, where, what? I just said, get it over with. I figured the doctor knew more than I did. Amen. You're awful quiet. Somebody say amen, would you? Want? Those people online are a lot louder than you are. I won't tell you that. In fact, I was, we were with uh, some dear friends of ours. Doc, I mentioned Dr. Mark McCorkle, one of the greatest surgeons in this part of the country. Years ago, we were at a church where we attended, in a large church, and we were there, and this lady walked up to Dr. McCorkle, and she was getting after him for the price of the surgery that was going to save her life. And she, she said, I just saw it. And he said, well, don't you have insurance? She said, yes. But my insurance is paying. I thought that you would, you know, because we go to church together. And, oh, don't ever do that to anybody. You hear me? Don't do that. And I was standing there getting disgusted by the moment. And finally, I said, I, tell, I got an answer for this, Mary. It wasn't her name. She looked at me and said, well, what, Pastor? I said, you're saying it's going to cost $64,000 if he does the surgery and your insurance is going to pay for it? Yes. I said, I'll do it for eight. <laughs> How about it? I'll do it for eight. You'll save all that money. The insurance company will save all that money. She goes, are you crazy? I went, no, you're crazy. You're crazy. He's the one that knows. You see, never one time in the life of Jesus Christ, this is the deity. This is why I can serve him. Never one time did he sin, one time, ever. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Oh, I believe. Oh, listen, don't, that's that. We can't understand it, so we make it up coming back. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for you and I. So this is what the scripture's talking about here. When he says he was vindicated by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit testified that this man and God in the flesh, we call Emmanuel, born in the flesh, 
Never one time sinned himself, but he took every filthy sin from Adam to the end of time forward and all the sins that would come, the debauchery and all of the unthinkable tragedies and horror of sickness and sorrows and sin and lumped them all together and uh, this black ball of sin from all eternity came and settled over Jesus on the cross and the Father God turned his back so he could become the sacrifice. And he who knew no sin became sin because of his ability to take our sins away. And he was vindicated by the Holy Spirit as being the one and only that can do that. If you believe that, say amen. He was seen by angels. Oh my. The angels surrounded him. In the garden, they were there to minister to him. They watched, they mused. They watched the King of kings and Lord of lords. This one, this Christophany, that in the Old Testament spoke to Abraham. And when he was ready to sacrifice Isaac, he lays him down. He starts to put the knife to his throat. And a voice comes. There's this, there's this saying that comes to them, don't. He said, angels can't say, you please me, or you've done good. They don't have the ability. They're messengers. But this voice said, Abraham, I've seen your heart, and I know your heart, and I'm pleased with you. This is called a Christophany. That's Christ in the Old Testament. When Gideon had that angel, that word means messenger in this case, comes to him. It was a Christophany. You see, Jesus was, he is, and will always be. Amen? He's vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, was preached among the nations. I've heard these people say, well, Jesus can't come till everybody hears. How do you know that they haven't? Anybody ever been in the Rift Valley in Africa between Kenya and Tanzania? I have. I can tell you I never felt more like if something happened to me here, I mean, you're out there with the lions and tigers. You know, tigers out with the lions and all those animals. You're out there where, honest to goodness, if something happened to you, they, they, it just, you, you just disappeared. My goodness. Out in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, alone, without any help. And here comes these Maasai. You ever seen pictures of the Maasai? <laughs> the red robes. Here comes these Maasai. And they surrounded us. And I said, what's your Christian name? I just took a stab in the dark. And the leader that had killed a lion with his bare hands said, I'm Jonathan. Fada. That's how they say father. Fada means you're old. I'm Jonathan, Fada. This is Maasai country. This is in, on the Tanzanian-Kenyan border. This is nowhere in the world. And they started talking to us. The funny thing about that is that night when we were in camp, I heard this, woo, woo. I thought it sounds like a dog with croup. I said, what is that, Jonathan? He said, that's a lion. I said, Jonathan, it sounds like he's right over there. He goes, he is. And then I heard this other godly noise. What's that? He said, that's a hyena. I said, it sounds like he's right over there. He goes, he is. Come over here, boys. 
can you do me a favor? About five, six of them. I said, I have my wife and my son and my daughter and, and Chrissy and, and Patrick and Freddie. I said, can you surround, can you protect us tonight? And they formed a circle around me. And he said, um, Father, we have a question for you. Ask. Because they had a little office there at this, they called it a resort. It was, it was stone walls and then grass tents. And in fact, we thought there was a leak hitting. A friend of ours thought there was a leak, uh, water hitting the tent and found out it was a spitting cobra uh, hitting the shadows as we walked up. And he said, Father, I ask you a question. Why? He said, have you ever seen red Indians? I went, yeah. My family, Ruth's family, has red Indian blood in them. And he goes, oh, they are great warriors. I said, how have you seen them? He said, on the television in the office. Oh. He said, they're great warriors. Oh, man, I'm just saying, oh, yeah, they're great warriors. I'm in Cochise. I'll name them all, you know. And he said, let me ask you a question. This is what we want to know. If a Maasai warrior and a red Indian warrior went to battle, who would win? I said, well, I'm not political, but I'm not stupid either here. I'm surrounded by my size in Africa. And I just said, Lord, give me an answer for these men. And this is what the Lord gave me. I said, Jonathan, if a Maasai warrior and an Indian warrior went to battle, they would battle and they would battle and they would battle until they couldn't battle any longer. They would fall on each other and they would become best friends. They said something in Maasai to each other, and he said, Fada, that was a good answer. <laughs> we will guard you. But I found out in that area, they had cell phones. All that to tell you that the world is more connected than we even believe or understand. The world is hearing the name of Jesus Christ. That word is not being inhibited by government or agencies, or special interest group that says you can't say the name of Jesus. And I have some really interesting news for you that's factual, <clears throat> absolutely factual. I have some really good friends that are constitutional lawyers, and they will tell you that in this country, that in the United States, by the Constitution that we have, <clears throat> that was written and ratified in this country, I can go anywhere I want and do anything I want under the confines of the law. And one of those is I can say Jesus is Lord above all in this nation that I live in. <clears throat> He's preached among the nations. He was believed on in the world. You have to travel a little bit to see your brothers and sisters around the world. There's something about the camaraderie of knowing Jesus Christ regardless of your ethnic background. There's a closeness. There's a warmth. There's a family. Because he, this powerful thing, Jesus, was believed on in the world. And then the great thing is he was taken up to glory. I said it earlier today. How many believe he's sitting at the right hand of the Father? I want to tell you something. Everything I'm telling you, and this is the character of Jesus I'm preaching, everything I'm going to tell you today has to do with you personally. You. This is what he did for you. 
Other gods take. Other gods accept sacrifices and people sacrifice and sacrifice. And Jesus gives. He gives us life. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us peace. He gives us joy. He wipes away our past and we don't live in guilt. Guilt is gone and we're exonerated. And that's the newness of forgiveness that only he can give us. And that's why I love the name of Jesus. That's why it's important. His love is unfathomable. His mercy is everlasting. His ability to forgive us has no limits. And his words are inevitably certain and not one will fall to the ground and be incomplete. Jesus is in everything in our lives and without exception. There's a scripture found in Jeremiah chapter 20. In Jeremiah chapter 20, this great prophet was prophesying in the temple area. And while he was prophesying, there was the head of the priest in that area, a temple priest named Pushar. And Pushar heard him prophesying and it offended him. So he took Jeremiah and Pushar had a real affinity toward any prophets of God, and he plotted with Zedekiah and different kings to have Jeremiah killed. He, he was a, a bad dude, but he hurt him, and so he had the authority. He took Jeremiah, the prophet, and put him in prison and had him beat really good, and the next day he lets him out, and Jeremiah's having a little bit of problem with all this thing because he's saying, God, I love you, and I serve you, and I was just telling the truth, and I got socks beat off of me for telling the truth. But then he comes back and he says, but it's worth it. Now, if you don't know Jesus, you can't figure that out. I mean, in the world, it's why don't you quit while you're ahead. But as a child of God, when we know we're doing right, we're serving Jesus Christ. We're doing what the word of God tells us. There's nothing the enemy can do to us that will dissuade us that he's Lord in our lives. And at every time, in every instance... When you do take that step, when you do enter that lion's den, when you do enter that fiery furnace, when you do enter that court of rejection, and particularly spiritual superiority, and it tries to make you look stupid and antiquated and superstitious, and all you're doing is trusting the Word of God, don't flinch, don't move. Don't apologize and don't defend Jesus. He is your defender. He will come to you. He will be there. He's your response through the Holy Spirit to anything that comes into your life. And Jeremiah's faced with all this. And after he, after he goes through this, why? And look at me, and this is, sometimes I wonder if it's even worth it. Then he gets to verse 9 and he starts this. But if I say, now this is after he's had the socks beat off of him in chapter 20, Jeremiah. But if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more of his name. He said, if I tried to do that, if I will not mention him 
or speak any more in his name. His words in my heart are like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Let me tell you what I'm trying to tell you this morning. I want you to grow in intimacy and understanding in relationship with Jesus Christ that nothing can keep that from coming out of you, that Jesus is Lord when I'm sick. He's Lord when I'm on top, when I've got the greatest awards or being put in prison for the cause of Christ. He's Lord if the doctors say I have a week to live. He's Lord if he says I have perfect health. He's Lord if my family walks away and the church turns its back. He's Lord and will not change that position. And for a child of God, it's personal and intimate to you. And when you make that claim and take that stand, he'll take the position with power and authority to lead you through whatever you're going through because you and he know together that he's Lord of your life. Jesus is. It's fire shut up in my bones. It's something that I can't. I don't have that kind of relationship. You can have it. How do I get it? I'll give you a book. Nah, I'll give you the book. I'll give you the book. I'll show you a tape. Uh -uh. No, I want you to look at the Word of God and to go to Jesus, just you and Him, and say, Lord, I don't understand this. He's, you're not the first one he's heard that. I, I don't get this, but I, I believe that you are who you are. And I just want you to show me what's right. That's all. Just show me what's right. As much as I have confidence in my pastor, I need to know from you. It's not enough for somebody else to tell me. <clears throat> I have to experience it. We have for centuries labeled this great man who was martyred in India. A lance was run through his back. He was pinned to the ground on the sandy beach in India preaching the word of God. His name was Thomas. Thomas wasn't there the first night when the disciples were together after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. All of them were there but Thomas. Jesus walked right through the walls. And then he let them see. You have fish to eat. He, he, he could walk through the wall but he could still be touchable. And they all met together a week later. But Thomas says to them, when Jesus is gone the next day, he says, I, I, I appreciate you. So we've dubbed him Thomas the Doubter. My, listen, friends, I want to change that title in that man. He, didn't, he wasn't doubting because he didn't know, believe. He said, I cannot live in your experience. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, you found him, you know him, you've met him. <clears throat> yes, he's healed your body. Yes, he's comforted you when you were in sorrow. Yes, he's come to you in the night when no one else was there and it seemed like you were on a desert island and nobody cared. Yes, I hear you, <clears throat> but I have to have my own experience. <clears throat> so the next Monday, they're all there <clears throat> 
And Thomas is there. And Jesus comes again after the resurrection. For 40 days after he was crucified and rose, for 40 days, Acts chapter 1, says that he walked among the people. A crowd as many as 500 saw him at his ascension. <clears throat> he was there ministering in his resurrected body as God again, as he was always God, but out of the flesh in his, in his glorious body. And he walks in, and Thomas is there. And he addresses Thomas. And, and I want to tell you, this thing that we've looked at as a rebuke wasn't a rebuke. If Jesus was going to rebuke me, I wouldn't ever get to hear anything from him. But you're doing it wrong. He loves us and says, there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way of understanding me and knowing me. Thomas, come up here. And Thomas comes with his head down. Yeah, I'm the one that said, unless I see his hands, unless I touch his feet, I won't believe. What he was saying is this. I cannot live in someone else's experience. Jesus doesn't want you to live in someone else's experience. He wants you to have your own. And he will come to you. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that he purposely came back on that second Monday night as a visit just for Thomas because he loved him so much. And I believe when he got there, he said, Thomas, come up here. <clears throat> when Thomas came up, he said, look at these hands. Revelation chapter 6, and I beheld there was a lamb standing as if he was slain before the foundations of the earth. And no one was worthy to open the book or unseal the book except this lamb stood up and he walked up and took the book and opened the book of life. And he alone had the authority. That lamb wasn't looking like a lamb. That was Jesus Christ in Revelation that took the authority of your inheritance and your future and opened it up by his precious blood. And he took his hands and he said, Thomas, look here. Touch my hand. Look at this. I want you to know who I am. I don't want you to have to live in somebody else's experience. I don't want you to have to put your trust in someone else's trust. I want you to know who I am. Touch me. Then touch my feet. Touch the side where there's no question in your mind that I am. And when he did, Thomas fell at his feet and he made the greatest proclamation of any human in the entirety of Scripture. He fell to his feet. And where the other ones met him on the first, and they were in awestruck, and they were fearful, and some believed and some didn't. That's what the Scripture says. But Thomas knew what he knew. When he fell down in front of him, he made this statement that rings in my heart and is something I want in my life more than anything else. He said, you are my Lord and my God. That's what he said. You're not only my Lord as Savior and Redeemer, but you're God, and beside you there is none other. And that relationship of knowing what somebody else knew flew away, and Thomas had something in him that was so great, it took him to martyrdom, and he had no problem with it because Jesus is to us. You can't deny him. Or who he is. We can't deny what he is. We can deny, cannot <clears throat> desire, de deny where he was. He's omniscient and omnipresent. We can't deny the fact he's God. 
You see, there was a woman in the Bible, in John chapter 12, and in Luke chapter 7 too. But there was a woman in Luke chapter 7 that was a sinner. And Jesus went to the house of a Pharisee to eat. <clears throat> and this woman was so burdened down with her sin. She said, a priest ain't going to get the job done. I can go to a priest all day long. I can go to a temple. I can take pounds. I can take a herd of cattle. <clears throat> but I can't get free of the guilt of my past. I've sinned so much. I need, I've got to have something. So she takes everything she owns. She takes an extremely costly inheritance in an alabaster box. And she brings it into an all-male setting. She wasn't even, besides that, she was the town whore. She had a bad background, no one. And here she is. She walks into an all-male setting. And she comes up, the Bible says she had a life of sin. And Luke says that she, she walks up behind Jesus and she cracks. She breaks open that jar and she pours this entire inheritance and her, her, her sustenance, everything. She pours it on the feet of Jesus six days before his crucifixion. And she begins to take her hair and she's weeping and she's crying and she's saying, I got to have more than just religion or religiosity or somebody else's opinion or your idea or rendition. I have to have more than a book or a tape or a seminar. I've got to have a one-on-one -on -one with the Most High God and know He's mine and I'm His. Amen. And the, all the religious crowd started to rebuke her. They will. I was sitting in a group of large group of pastors one time, and I mentioned something about Pentecost, and they actually said to me, oh, oh don't use that word. You know, use something else, spirit-led. I said, what? What are you saying? What are you saying? I'm not trying to provoke situations, but are you, have you been so affected by the new norms? You see, the new normal ain't normal in any place. That we deny who we are. This woman gave, poured it out right there. Couldn't get it back up. It was gone. She said, I'm so sorry. And then Jesus said something to her. You see, it triggered the heart of God. He said, your sins are forgiven. She walked in with a little vial of a very expensive treasure to man. And walked out with the treasure of the Son of God. And she became a ransomed treasure. And that's what you are. Every one of you listening to me online, every one of you listening right now, if you know Jesus Christ, you're a ransomed treasure. He bought you back. He ransomed me. Oh, he ransomed me from sin's darkness and troubled sea. I used to hear Brother Jerry Haynes sing that song. And I'd listen to him. He, Jesus ransomed me. And he saved me and redeemed me. I'm going to tell you it's true. And he is who he says. He's greater than the government or the world. He cannot be squashed or silenced. And in our voice... As a child of God, it's just not a matter of using our constitutional rights. It's a matter of 
of moving in closer and intimate with God to know him better and for him to know us better. And that's what changes us from Thomas the first time to Thomas the second time. And that's when we begin to say this, he is my Lord and my God. That's who Jesus is. He changed the woman at the well. He gave her a drink of living water. I've had it. It's wonderful. He's destroyed the powers of hell. He's my warrior God. He redeemed and destroyed hell's powers over your life. He did the unthinkable when he took a beating that was beyond any beating that any prisoner had ever had with a cat of nine tails. And his blood and flesh was torn open for one thing, for me to have healing in my body. And it's there. I don't have to go to a seminar or a book. It is there in the name of Jesus Christ for everything we need, for everything we have. Dottie Rambo wrote a song. Dottie and Buck, years ago, was from my Dawson Springs, Kentucky, where my family's from. My mother babysitted Buck Rambo when he was a baby. The Rambo Cemetery's there, and Dottie wrote some of the greatest songs in Southern Gospel music. But she wrote this one song years ago. There's nothing, no nothing, that my God can't do. He created It's an incredible song. But the truth is, the title, there's nothing my God can't do. He wants intimacy with you. He doesn't want celebrities. He doesn't want authorities. He's the authority. He doesn't need a lot of the help that we've been giving. Thomas said, I just got to have me and him. I got to know. And you know what? That's the kind of got to I want I, I appreciate everybody. Do I believe in healing? Oh, my. My wife had three months to live in college with leukemia. Doctor told her she was dead. But her old preacher daddy, that great pastor, pastor almost 50 years in Kansas City. Dad walked into the room. I, I can just see him now. Doctor, very distinguished, white hair, looked like a senator. Dad walked in and said, thank you for your opinion. <laughs> Woo! Dr. James Finn. Doctors give the opinion, but God gives the verdict. Thank you for your opinion, but my daughter's going to live. When they found out what she's going to live, then the same little atheistic doctor said, Well, she'll never have a strenuous life. <clears throat> so she graduated from Evangelical College. Dr. Ruth started out as a PE major physical education. The first job she had was in Kansas City at an all-black school teaching about a thousand black girls how to dance. Now, that don't work. White girl don't do that. She just turned on the music and they danced. A PE major. She was a barrel racer. She can ride a horse better than Gene Autry. She's had two children that were incorrigible when they were younger, but they've grown up okay. She's raised me from foolishness to normal. That's my opinion. But see, the doctor said, but Jesus said, Jesus said, I know God heals. I know he restores. 
I know he fixes homes. I know he fixes health. I know he heals your mind. I know he heals your body. I know that he erases your past, that you don't have to live in guilt any longer. Or the bondage of religion, but the freedom of Jesus Christ. All of this because Jesus is. Alyssa, where are you? Stand to your feet with me, please. Please don't check out. Just give me 90 seconds. If you're watching online, stay with me just a moment, please. The Lord gave me this message for you this morning. You watching online, wherever you are. He gave me this message 